Hi, John. Hi, Merlin. How's it going? Caribbean queen. Sharing the same dream. William Ocean. I have a Alice in Chains song stuck in my head. Hmm. And so what does one do about that but try and get it out of your head by singing Billy Ocean? Mm. Mm. I feel like I remember hearing that there's a universal cleanser. I, I don't think there could oh. be a universal, like truly universal. That even seems international. like the type of thing you would know, though. That's well, a very Merlin man thing, the okay, universal cleanser. I'm, I'm going to do what I usually don't do, how to get a song out oh, of do it. your do it. Head. I was going to say either Abba. I was going to say the Ramones. Ramones is my first pick. Abba was my second pick. Oh. Um, get out of the loop. Do a puzzle. Did you always say Abba, or did you at one point say Abba, and then you switched to Abba like Moog and Moog? Yeah, I did that. Yeah. The second one. That's all right. Do you think I'm? Do you think I'm being a little bit fancy, or as we say in my house, fancy? Abba. Abba. How, what does your aunt say? Ugh. <laughs> you know. You know. I'm uh, mobbed up with that now. It's yeah. so dumb. It's so dumb. It's, it's my uncle. Yeah. Your uncle. Um, <laughs> it's, I, I'm pretty sure it's, it's got to be a, you know, if not a Providence thing, maybe a Rhode Island thing. Maybe it's a, a North, Northeastern thing, like a New England thing. Yeah, New England. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, I don't say aunt. I don't say Abba. But I do say Moog. Yeah. Because I don't want to seem dumb. But see, then there's also the corollary, and I'm not going to look this up, but I, I heard, I've heard it said, and you can tell me because you're, you're a Francophile, there's a film okay. festival in, in a city. Oh, con. Well, time was, Americans would say the Cannes Film Festival, and right. then for a while, at least, Fonsi people would say the, the, the con Film Festival, but I don't know if this is a double turns out or just a single turns out, but I've heard it's actually can. Can. Can con. I think it may be like, um, like they, they keep telling us about Scandinavian, that there are just um, sounds that we don't make. So the French are, are making a ah ah somewhere in between ah ah They switch between ah and ah so fast that the human ear can't discern it. If you're interested in this stuff, and I hope you're not, but if you are interested in this stuff, there's a, there's a really interesting fella on that does YouTube videos. Um, he's a, a dialect coach, mostly. Oh. He's a linguist, but he's also a dialogue coach for people uh, who are actors. And he helps them get very specific. Like, you know, if, if my English accent was, hello, governor, what's all this thing? Like, that wouldn't yeah. be very telling. But he could teach hmm. me how to do, like, a really good, like, specific Yorkshire accent. Right. I, I love those YouTube videos where, where one person will switch between – there's one where yeah. uh, there's a guy that does every UK accent. And it's not yes. everyone, but he does 15, 20 I of them. I love those. I love, love those. Or, yeah. And, uh, and a friend of the show, David Wayne, has one where he does every New York City accent. Those but, are good. But this guy just, just concluded a big, big three-part series on accents of America. And no, it's not all of them. But folk, but he does it in that voice. And he'll say things like, oh, and in, I want to say, South Carolina, there's this place called Brunswick Island that has this extremely specific accent. But then he also ties it to a little bit of physiology, which I think is interesting, about like why people from New Orleans sound like people from Manhattan. Mm. That there's this there's certain things you do. You got your got your goat goat fronting. You know, uh -huh. you got your you got your dropped. Uh, you know this and that. 
Yeah, you dropped this and that. Now, a friend of the show, John Syracuse, this virtually is the center of his life, is correcting people on how they pronounce things. Well, and he is from Long Island, where they barely speak English there. You want to hear his criticism of the language guy? Mm, Okay. All right. I mean, it's got to go somewhere. I do want to hear it. He thinks he didn't establish enough of a baseline. Oh, you need a baseline. You need a baseline. You know, the baseline... I, I, and I've I've gone on record with this before, and yeah. you know, you, people know where to send their letters. But yeah, I believe that the English that you and I spoke, or the English as she is spoke, mm-hmm. uh, is the English, right? Your English, my English. This is the English, hmm. uh, because English, you know, it started in in Englishland, mm-hmm. and it migrated to, you know, well, various places all we've, around. We've improved on a lot of their stuff over the years. That's the honest. thing. We just, it, we just kept, it kept getting better and better as it moved West. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, oh, until and, you get to Seattle and that's when it reaches its uh, apotheosis. There it, there it is. Between I San Francisco, this. Seattle and Anchorage, it just, it got to the end. It got to the end of the line. Now, if you go all the way to Hawaii, it's gone too far. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah. Because, well, because then you're, you know, it's coming from the other direction. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it's colli- Pre- colliding. Prevailing here, language winds, yeah. Yeah, Seattle, and and specifically, I think, a little bit further out, like Nia Bay, but, you know, like Bremerton, that's where English really just just found its highest expression. And uh, and hmm. I think that, I think there's ample evidence for that, that that all the, all the American accents, you know, if you go, f- the further back east you go, the, the, well, it's just the more primitive they are. Think yeah, of the I English mean, well, that John you, Syracuse speaks. He's just like, I'm not sure where the letters will go, but if you wanted to say, what do you think is the worst American accent? Oh, the worst American accent. You know what? Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> Never mind. Let's 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 keep it friendly. I so you know, many. I got I got a lot of struggles with this. Um, uh, with the English, you know, the, the, the UK. You're always struggling with the English. Well, you know, they, they gotta feel like they're different, you know, it's, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, but it's, um, you know, for, okay. So my, my baseline is, you know, we have a lot of listeners in the United Kingdom and, uh, and it's assorted colonial, uh, properties. It's, uh, what are called the principalities? Yeah. The principalities. We have Mm -hmm. a lot of listeners. I mean, they, 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 um, they shake out, you know, it's like when you shake out the, the bedclothes and all of a sudden there's all these crawdads in the bed, except in oh. our case, it's, um, it's, uh, UK and, uh, Anzac listeners. Some would call them crayfish. Yeah. Well, some would mm-hmm. do doodads to do da day. I, I, I have mixed feelings because I am one of those people who is a bit of a pill sometimes about words. I enjoy oh. the specificity of a word and I've, I've learned from um, hard-won experience that choosing the wrong word when you mean something else has consequences. Okay. All right. Uh, I'd be happy to share some yeah. anecdotes about that. But I do feel, I don't know if I'm uh, prescriptive, descriptive. I don't know which one I am. But you know what? Oops. Here's the thing. And I go around with this with a beloved person in my household. Listen, listen. If you understand what I meant, you don't need to correct me. Mm-hmm. If you didn't understand, like if I did a full-on you know, may I mambo dog face to the banana patch, I will take your notes on being clearer. <laughs> but, but here's what's important to me as a, as a communicator. And let's be honest, a storyteller, okay? Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. Which is, right. which is I want you to join me on a journey where you listen to this anecdote because of the part that I, that I want to get across to you. Yeah. Rather than rather than you, you know, being there, uh, uh, you know, uh, throwing throwing yellow cards, 
about whether or not uh, I got the I got the I got Kirsten or Kirsten right. First of all, Kirsten mm-hmm. is not a name. Kirsten. What, I mean, I know that's a, that's a John Roderick kind of name. That's a redhead name. Yeah. But, but there's but, you Kirsten, know. and there's, then there's the one that we can't pronounce, which is Kirsten. Kier, it starts as Kirsten, Kirsten, and then halfway through it changes its mind. Well, it screws you up because my wife has worked with a Kirsten. Kirsten. She's worked yeah, for Kirsten. a Kirsten. Yeah. Um, but okay, but so, so we can talk about that or not. The other thing I want to say is that um, – and again, I'm criticized by friend of the show, John Syracuse, Syracuse mm-hmm. about this, which is he thinks Dawn and Dawn sound different. He thinks mm-hmm. Mary, Mary, and Mary sound different. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm just here to say that, that they are different if you're from somewhere where people mm-hmm. say it different. But I'm from a place where everybody says words all the same way. Yeah. Everything's a homonym in Ohio. Yeah, that's the and it's the it's the highest expression of the form. I mean, he is saying these words differently because he's right because he's an East, of, he's an East Coast cuck. Yeah. yeah, he's he's speaking a primitive version of the language. Yeah, he grew up in Long Island, and so he says a lot of really banana stuff. Yeah, they're but, all out there. You know, they learn English from like guys working on Camaros. That's like oh, the, that's right. See, then, then, he, then he moved to uh, to to Boston. Yeah, well, yeah. It's, it's you remember in high school where some high schools you had uh, the the. The, the the football coach was also the history teacher. Uh, mine was the driver's ed teacher. Yeah. Well, see, there it is. And well, actually, I take it back. In eleventh grade, I had a very incompetent man. He's the man who said uh, that that the uh, the Native Americans would get two fifths of the land or forty percent, whichever was more. He was the JV football coach. Right. Exactly. And he kept the mimeographs for the tests uh, where he knew people could find it when he went to get coffee. Back east, that I mean, that's a that's a that's a Western thing. Back east, it's the football coach and the, is the English teacher. Oh man! So that's why they speak like. Yeah, uh, you you made me think of a couple of things a second ago. You know, here, yeah. here at the uh, at the house where you, um, where you live. Yeah, the variety of houses where, where your children play here. with their toys. <laughs> um, I, we talk a lot about, and by we I mean I. Mm-hmm. To I I talk, talk a lot to to, to yeah. them about um, about the the difference between the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. Hmm. And you know you're you're saying like are you listening to the story or are you are you uh, are you trying to find are you trying to find where all the rusty nails are in the story, and for for me, I'm always trying to to impart that it's not that the spirit of the law is more important than the letter of the law. It's just you have to go in you have to go in knowing which one you're talking about. You have to you have to decide which thing. This is when we say, I mean, you're saying sort of not strictly metaphorically, but you're saying in general, there are things that let's even call it a rule that we've all agreed to. And the reason for the rule should be kept in mind when we uh, adjudicate whether the rule has been followed in the spirit of it, correct? That's, that is absolutely. You're talking about like a seventh graders loophole of like, well, technically I was in bed at 10. Right. Even though then I went outside and, you know. But 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 I'm talking Analyzed. about the evolution of that now to include storytelling and to oh please can't we get a can we get a codicil uh, an amendment yeah. something that just it cuts me a break because I said Kirsten wrong in the anecdote where the name didn't matter because the spirit of the of the law of the spirit of the law extends Whoa. to um, extends to you know it encompasses all this stuff like what are we. What what is the point of this story, or what is the point of you and and oh, like, sing why it, are sister. We I could not agree with you more, John. 
What's the spirit of the law of this conversation or of this, even this, this project that we're doing, or is it a letter of the law conversation or, or a a trip to the swimming pool or, you know, or birthday party. Mm -hmm. And you said said to a little kid and you tried to make it real plain. And you said to like a little kid who turns out to be a child lawyer, you say to them, Hey, listen, it's really important. You're not playing in the street. And then they go out and like read a comic book in the street, like they're not honoring uh, the uh, the spirit of the law, right? It's not right. it's not really about the the playing part, you know. Bad on me for not being a better legal scholar, but the really important part is I need to get it through your head that the street is not the place to be. You, you're passing through the street, keep moving and get out of the way, mm. you know, and watch your six, right? But with storytelling, with storytelling, there's always somebody there, right? To to kind of like to kind of like. Give you, give you a little dig on, on, on a detail you got wrong or, or in, perhaps in my case, like a word I didn't use correctly or pronounce correctly. The, 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 the tricky thing that I'm engaged in right now <laughs> is that we are – she just turned 10. Oh. Oh, right. And, oh, oh, oh. See, I was guessing it was your partner mother. Oh no no no! This is the uh, this is this is the this is the, the young one. The, oh, the get one ready, that I'm John. To... It's, it's, so, it's so fun. The, they love being right a little bit. Well, and I like that, but but, but, yeah, the, sure. but where we stand right now is, it seems to me, in the doorway of more interesting reading. And I'm lucky, Mazel Tov, to mm-hmm. me, yeah, that th- she is th- a Diana, yeah, that she's a she's a reader. She's always been a reader. Very lucky in that regard. Yep. 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 Um, I, I introduced her to many of the, you know, many of my favorite things, all of the graphic novels and the comic books and everything and, and the (laughs) adventure stories and the fun. And she's become very, she's, she's very Star Wars. Um, she's so Star Wars, Mm -hmm. but that's Mm -hmm. another conversation. But now at 10, you know, at 10, uh, was the moment where adults started to get suspicious of my reading and started to quote unquote challenge me by, by basically like, um, you know, by, uh, experimenting or like throwing me hard books to see what, what I, you know, like, Hey Mikey, he likes it. Like they, you know, they would say like, Oh, it's apparently you're a really good reader. Well here, read the Bible. And it's like, ah. and so adults started to, to, um, to uh, almost treat my reading as, um, as something that was fucked up about me that they needed to, they needed to plumb the limits of. Yeah. Which is part of this bigger pattern. I'd love to talk about sometime of, of adults who claim reading is important, doing everything in their power to take these special things about reading and make them unspecial and drudgery. So like, Hey, you enjoy reading? Well, you've been like, you really blew through all those Henry Huggins books. Like, you know, have this, uh, this Tractatus to read. Like I, I haven't made this not fun. Hi, you know, what's fun. A reading journal. Why don't you write down how much you read? <laughs> reading journal. Oh, the worst. What, what am I, a cab driver? Like, no, like what, the kid reads. Don't worry. Don't worry. The kid is reading. Well, and that I had that conversation with Ken Jennings the other day where he came by and I was like, you know, because I, I was talking to him about this thing that I'm that I'm kind of, you know, I'm, I'm kind of standing on the precipice. You're of. up against it. And he said the same thing, like, ah, it doesn't matter if they're reading as long as they're as long as they're reading, it doesn't matter what they read. Agreed. But, you know, my uh, my daughter has learned to read. She's um, she's a skimmer. And I am um, 
I'm a I'm somebody that reads every word. Are you a saverer? Yeah, I'm a slow reader and always was. You know, if I sit down with a book like I I am on a long, slow walk and I do. I read every word, I read a lot of sentences twice, three times, not because I lost not because I drifted off, but because I read it and I was like, now let's what is that again? Now let's read that again. Like, wow, look at well, the way it does it. Like I really, really, really spend um uh, too much time with the words and she's the other way. Like she, and she learned this, she was like this from the very beginning, which is just as she's reading, she's like, and she's looking for the meat of the story and then all the exposition, she's like, blah, 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 blah. You know, oh, you just see boy. her, her eye kind of, you know, heading, heading on through. And so when at the end of, as there, as her books have gotten more complicated at the end of the book, I say, well, what, you know, like, what was that book about? She's like, oh, you know, and she tells the, she sketches out the, the story and, and I'll ask a few more questions. And at a certain point, it doesn't take long to get to a place where she doesn't, she, she didn't get that part of the book. You know, she, she skipped over the pages where. Um, I run, I run into this right now with TV shows where it's like, if you didn't see the scene where like Aunt May, if you didn't notice the half second shot where Aunt May puts down a coaster, just as Peter Porker is about to put his cup on the table, like that's storytelling. Mm -hmm. I know you yep. understand now the monster guys are gonna come and fight, but like you miss so much of the mood and what the writer, the, the storyteller is doing. If you're just trying to say like, oh, no, 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 come on, just give me the log line. Yeah, right. She, she, um, so, so she started to push back a little bit like, ah, these books, you know, this, Cause she's, she's at that next level. She's walked into the next level of books and, and she says, these books are so boring. It's like nothing happens. And I'm like, well, yeah, but I mean, you're very, very used to reading, uh, reading a whole like giant spectrum of books where on every page, someone fights a dragon or someone, <laughs> yeah. you know, like. Everyone has superpowers. Everyone is running away from home. Everyone. You You're know. saying in, in, in kids, in kids uh, books, especially that like they're real, they're fast paced. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, you know, all of fantasy and science fiction. And again, true, true with visual media, like the, the post MTV generation, like there's a lot more fast cuts and editing and all that kind of stuff. And you go back and watch some kind of a classic thing. You watch 2001 and it's like, what is happening? Yeah, it's just people slow. walking around on a, on a moon. But so we've started this conversation where I'm like, well, mm. so part of the fun of reading is the reading. <laughs> yeah. And it's not, and, it's not something to be done with. Yeah. Right. You don't, you don't like the words aren't something to get through on the way to, um, no, they aren't simply something to get through on the way to having the, you know, the kind of, uh, most skeletal spark of the story, yeah, which is super easy to digest. And it's like, oh, the girl went to the thing and she had magic powers and then the guy, she fought the guy and at the end of the fight, she won book over. Mm -hmm. And, but it's all part of this, like, in order to have the satisfaction of the words, you, you know, you, you have to kind of read them for their own sake. And, I, you know, I'm, I hear myself struggling to explain, and and I'm and, and it isn't a case where I'm sitting and like, now you have to read uh, Wrinkle in Time, and she's mm -hmm. like, I just want to read Adventure Time comics. Oh, they're so good. 
but it, but it is a thing where I've started to realize like, oh, all of those like really great, you know, they didn't have graphic novels when I was a kid and she has grown up reading graphic oh, novels. Yeah, we had, uh, we had, uh, we had Harvey, right? Get Harvey, Harvey comics. The, Harvey the rabbit. Sorry, my bad. Um, no, no, we talked about this, you know, you and I, we had Archie, we had the Archie, Archie. well, right. not just Archie, but no. you know, we had the Archie family, we had the, the Harvey family. You go to a spinner rack and get in a, a parent-approved comic, it's not, it's not going to be like uh, Dark Knight or a Watchman. No, but they also didn't have all these ones that are targeted at preteen girls, you know, braces. Oh, true. And these yeah. ones where, where characters rats. have, <laughs> they have real world, yeah, rats. <laughs> <Brats>. <laughs> they have real world problems, but, you know, there's also like, uh, when somebody is surprised, there's an interrobang instead of uh, two pages of explaining how their emotions were, you know, mm-hmm. like the, um, the visual media does a lot of the, the heavy lifting. And so you don't have to sit and, and, uh, even, you know, even even reading Beverly Cleary, there's there, the words have to do the work. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's, it's been a challenge for me because I don't want to be a nuge. I don't want to be a parent that's like, you're not reading right. Mm-hmm. But I do want to help her make this transition because I have known, and this is what I was saying to Ken and Ken, you know, Ken's just like, whatever. But in the he same seems way, a that, little too relaxed. In the same way that Jonathan Colton was like, ah, oh, just let them, yeah. you know, just let them do whatever they want on the internet. It's fine. They'll grow up to be fine. And his kids grown up to be fine. <laughs> Screens in his, his house are like ashtrays were in my house. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, um, but what, what, but I do know a lot of adults and have over, over my whole life known a lot of adults who are incredible readers. They're, they're compulsive readers even. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a good word. Yeah. They, they read and read and read and read and read. But at a certain point, they arrested the, their development in terms of what they wanted to read. And they stopped somewhere where they were comfortable you know, they read books where they were comfortable and they read. And so their language and their storytelling and their imagination just, you know, they got someplace that, and, and in, in our culture, if you were reading, it is assumed by most people that you're smart and that you are fine and like, oh, they're reading, leave them alone. They're, they're, they're smart. They're doing good. They do good in school, leave them alone. But you can, you know, you can make that choice for yourself. And there's a lot I feel now where people are like, well, this is what I want. This is what I like. Don't yuck my yum. Mm-hmm. I want to read Louis L'Amour books for the rest of my life. And when I get to the end of them, I read them over and that's what I want. And watching her and realizing like, I, I have to be partners with her in this and part of the job, I think, of dadding is is at least continuing to talk about the challenge of like, yes, this book is harder than that book to read. It's harder to enjoy even until you learn, until you decode the language of reading it. It isn't even decode the book. It's decode the, it's decode the way of reading. And... There's, and there's a lot of, I would say, in the same way that I would say there's a lot of movies that I've heard referred to as mood movies, you know, 
I mean, some, something like a Terrence Malick movie or, you know, something like that, where it's like the story, the dialogue, like that's, that's not entirely why you're here. You're here for the visual medium of film. And in the case of a book, if you're reading a book by Cormac McCarthy, like, are you there for the story or are you there for that insane language? That could even be for Stephen King in some cases, where it's like you grow up with like, okay, here's a story. And, you know, and, and John, I blame some of this on the history of things like SRAs. We're like, we're like reading is supposed to be some kind of a quick skills challenge and you get a badge instead of like just being something or like in my case, like Kurt Vonnegut, I bet there's a lot of people who are super annoyed by the way that he writes, but it really hit me at the right time when I was 16. And I, I loved his repetition and, you know, the, just all there's like, that's the thing about an author. It's not just that they can tell a story, you know, and, and again, back to movies and TV, some of the best things that I can recommend to people I could tell you not only the story, I could tell you the twist, but it's still not the same as watching the movie, where yeah. you have to disappear into the movie and see how that story is being told. And that's in some ways the most challenging part. And yeah. like, how do, you, how do you get a little kid or a kid, how do you keep them excited about you know, what comes next without making it seem like eating your vegetables? Well, and, and the, whole, the whole thing about, you know, eventually, eventually you go to college and someone says... What did the author mean by this? And you're either excited to ask and answer that question, or you couldn't, you couldn't care less, right? And and to get to a place where you're where you're interested in that question, mm -hmm. rather than say like, uh, I mean, because at a, at a young age, at ten years old, you're not even really conscious of the author as a participant. Right. You know, you you read the story and you take it in and you're like, I am in this story and then I'm out the other side. And the and, and I've been trying to introduce to her, like, not all authors are reliable. Not all words on a page are true. Not, you That's know, the like, whole point of uh, several very good Faulkner novels. <laughs> no, I mean, Which, like when you get in some like Sound of Fury or Absalom, Absalom, one of the reasons I love Absalom, Absalom so much or loved it so much anyway in college, I haven't read a lot since then, but it's like each chapter is told by a different person who has a different POV. You know, it's like Mississippi Rashomon. <laughs> right. <laughs> and that, and <laughs> that's a guy by Voices EP. <laughs> la, la, la. La, la, la. That, that is, that's exciting. And, you know, and I don't want to... I definitely look back in our life and think and remember myself at six years old uh, when she was six. I don't remember myself at six. Well, I do, but yeah. I don't remember thinking this at six. But I remember watching her at six and being concerned about something that by the time she was eight had resolved itself. But I also... Right, right. Somehow, you know? somehow <laughs> she got over this thing that I thought would be you know, uh, an extinction level event for the child. Yeah. You know, when you're in college, you can't keep putting peas up your nose at dinner. Like I need to teach you this now. <laughs> and then, you know, and then at eight, it's like, not you can do, you do that when you're uh, back in your dorm. But, but in terms of like, uh, uh, reading habits, I mean, this is something that matters so much to me and, and made a difference in my life. And it's very hard for me to go back to 10, for instance, and under and, and remember or have any conception of what my relationship was to books other than that I relied on them and I was there with them mm -hmm. a lot of the time. But, you know, I remember and it was right about this time, fifth, sixth grade, where, where it's like, oh, wait a minute, Watership Down is not just a story. 
Mm-hmm. It's some other, it's, there's other things happening here and this is more interesting than I was prepared for. And that just being like, so mm-hmm. it's not like reading is just a thing that you do instead of sports, but it's a thing that, that, uh, uh, that brightens the corners, you know, mm-hmm. that, that, that turns into your life. And I don't, you know, and to be a guide there, it's one thing to sit with her and say like, all right, now carry the nine. Okay. Now what do you do? Now this I to- is, I totally, this is why I continue to believe math should be taught somewhere besides school. There should just be math school where like you yeah. could just take all the courses that like you, you could be interested in, but math is in some ways like, you know, uh, computer maths really it's, it's, it's a trade. It, it's, it's, uh, I hate when there's a hang up that makes everybody dread the other, well, Matt kid dread the other classes because of the one class. And yeah, that's it's crazy, and I, you know, I I have a friend whose daughter, at the age of what, twelve or thirteen, the word math made her fall on the floor and cry. Mm-hmm. And it's like it feels what like ha- it really does feel like a cruel trick until yeah. you understand. I mean, well, I got some follow up on this in a sec, but it that's very much one of those things that feels like a cruel trick until you understand, like that there is there's a method to this. Instead, they just throw you in the deep end a lot of the time. And just, they, the, they haven't, do they still teach stuff like, you know, of being like a division problem or, you know what I mean? Like the ways there were keywords you could look for oh, that right. would like let, let you in on like which information is germane and like what, I, I remember that feeling though. I was practically panicky about word problems for most of my childhood. And and I think it's word problems that, that did it to my friend's daughter too. And I, and I remember I was at dinner with them and I was like, what have we done wrong in life that that a thing that is so natural, so native to the world, which is the language, which is God's cursive, which is math. <laughs> God's cursive. You know, like that's pretty good. Everything's everything is written in math. The whole it's all written in math. Yep, 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 yep. By God, it's the only language He really speaks. God doesn't mm. fucking speak Hebrew. He doesn't need to speak. Uh, he didn't need to talk we, at all. That's the thing about Polly. <laughs> <laughs> he moves slow because he didn't move for anybody. Uh, uh, means uh, Paul ain't going to come around no more. Mm-hmm. Hmm. What, but somehow we've turned it into a thing that is like, yeah, absolutely. Like, like, like uh, hot coals under fingernails. Yeah. And my, my kid has just started to say word problems uh, are a nightmare for her. And honestly, when I look back at my own life, I loved word problems. And maybe that's why I've had so much interpersonal success in my life, why every relationship has worked out. Because I love a word problem. Um, I didn't do you like, like, do you like the, Do you like it because it's easy or because you like the challenge? What I found was word problems were this, and, and we joke about it all the time, a train moving from X to Y. We, we, uh, what was what I discovered was that the word part of it was the hard part. And once you decoded the word part of it, usually it was an easy math problem. Yeah. That was yeah. the thing. And so I mean it's at pe- worst like pre algebra. You might need some parentheses. But yeah, it's, it's the decoding. I agree with you. It's the decoding that's hard. And it's also just that feeling that like I can tell somebody wrote this in a way that's a little bit confusing because they think that's gonna help me be better at removing the confusing parts or decoding the confusing parts. But it does it does it feels a little bit hostile to me. It is. And that was what, what I liked about it as a kid was I can decode words. 
And so I'm not fooled by your fooling foolage, Mm-mm. adults. I looked at the page and I was like, <laughs> I see you, adults. I, I see you, fools. You're right there <laughs> you on the other side of that one-way glass. Uh-huh. And let me show you like how easy it is to decode your dumb sentence. I mean, there were a couple of tests that I took where I corrected the grammar on a word problem. Oh, as a a component of of solving the the question. You know, step zero, homework should not have typos when it's handed to you. That does not help credibility. Well, and I found a a grammar error in an Iowa basic test one time and had to convince the teacher that it was, I mean, you know, I was that kid who was like, Well, you should be that kid. They should move you into like a, like a move up your uh, SRA. They should put you in at least a green SRA at that point. They should have. And then what would have happened? Then where, where would I be now? Where would you be now? Mm -hmm. I'd be now. I would be, I'd be working for NASA. I'd be the first man on Mars. We'd be there already. This, this, this does dovetail with a thing. Here's a big pattern is that let, let's start from first principles, Clarice, which is most people who are trying to do stuff with kids do generally have good intentions. And, and I think when so many things happen with kids with good intentions, and this is going to be so different for everybody, there are people who hit their kid because they have good intentions. They think, I turned out fine. It's like, well, no, you didn't. If you think hitting a kid is okay, you didn't turn out fine. But anyway, that's my own opinion. But, but our own hangups seep through every page of these books. And you and I probably suffer from it too. There's a kind of neurotic, a neurotic or anxious way that we feel like we're trying to help a kid avoid some kind of a crash or some kind of a a terrible oversight that we worry we either didn't survive or barely survived of like, oh my gosh, if somebody spent more time teaching me to read good books, and then we, we pass that along to our kids and we feel like, not, maybe not you and me, but I feel like in general, even with our best intentions, we end up really putting our dick in the mashed potatoes by trying to, trying to overly manage the education of kids, partly because there's scale problems. It's difficult to do. But even if it's one parent and one child, like you, one can find oneself taking a lot of the, definitely the fun but even just the like nascent curiosity about something that somebody has. You can do this when you become that, like, let's turn every time we cook into a math problem or, a you know, it's like, let's make this all about like, you know, number lines and, uh, and, and uh, you know, proportions. And it's like, okay, but like your kid, if you are actually paying attention to what your kid is into and likes, like you don't even, you don't need to press them. I mean, of course, and of course, I break this rule all the time. I just, there's graphic novels I'm constantly pressing into my kids' hands. But like we, we unintentionally, when, when we're anxious about, here's, here's a, a big one for me. When we're anxious or neurotic about something, kids can read that way better than we think. Maybe as good as a dog. They know what our hangups are. And when we get too wound up, whether we're as a teacher, a parent, or anybody who's well-intentioned, when we get too wound up in trying to bandage our old wounds, we create a, a, the opportunity, at least, for a new wound on that kid. Because now you're getting intense, you're paying attention to them in a style and, in, and level of intensity that you normally don't, and you're practically gritting your teeth with the whole, like, you know, this is actually really easy. You just have to, like, bam, bam, stick to it. And, and like, I don't know, man, maybe I'm just too easy on my kid, but, like, I, I really I try to catch myself doing that. Because, I mean, in my case, I agree with you. A pound sign privilege. My kid loves to read. 
And so like, but for me to like, I, I felt, used to feel it was such a low point for me in second and third grade for, for her second, and third grade, where like I was expected by the teacher, by the school to constantly browbeat her about filling out her reading log. And it's like, I mean, I understand why you need to do that. I think you need to make sure that you have a manageable way to make sure the work is getting done and nobody's being overlooked. But like, have you considered, especially given that you spend most of your time on the kids who are real pain in the ass, have you considered that all of this browbeating about not finishing your reading log could bleed over into now I think reading is something that I get punished about? Like, am I overstating that? I, I, I don't think so. I think grownups with good intentions do a lot of really dumb bullshit based on their own neurotic behavior instead of like trusting the, the, the curiosity of their kid. This is the, I mean, you, you've hit on two, two things. And on Bring the it. one hand, on the one hand, it's exactly what I'm afraid of. I mean, one of the, one of the triggering events that, uh, that had us take her out of public school and put her in Montessori was that she went to read a book in her class in her public school and the teacher <clears throat> came and said, you can't read that book because you've read it already. You read it. You filled out the form about having re read it. Ugh, so Brazil. We submitted the form. And so you can't, now you have to read another book because you, if you read that book, you have to fill out a form, but you've already filled out the form. But you, which is book. basically a way of saying this is a waste of my time. <laughs> or, or something. I mean, the teacher was like, I don't, the, the teacher had already become powerless, right? Like this wasn't her choice. She would let her read it, but I'm afraid that somewhere up, you know, the, the George Bush administration doesn't want you to read it twice. Yeah, don't and want you left behind. Yeah. My daughter is somebody who wants to read a book three or four times, partly because she skims it and then she can read it again. My mom is like this. My mom has read The French Lieutenant's Woman 15 times. Because well, and every sometimes there's, again, back with me and TV, <clears throat> there's a ton of TV and movies where like there's so much stuff I, I, I only catch on subsequent viewings because I'm not trying to overread it for story. I'm looking for subtleties and like I'm looking for the expression on this woman's face. So like on Halt and Catch Fire, there's a great scene where there's an expression on this woman's face very briefly as she notices that the boss suddenly doesn't mind writing a big check. And my kid didn't catch it because she wasn't, she was looking at her phone, which is fine. But like that's actually really big. You just, you just missed a big part of that story if you're only reading or in this case watching for, for the log line. Not, not, I don't mean to criticize, but like there's benefits to reading things more than once. Like how, ugh, that's so in, gross. In, in my part, the, 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 the thing I'm, I'm concerned about is that I am very aware, like I don't teach my daughter how to ski anymore because I was uh, too invested in, in it and too, and, and, you know, she felt my frustration and it turned skiing into a problem. Oh, uh, that you was like the walk, walk right up to the edge <clears throat> of being, um, well, being, just what my dad that, was, that, you know, that guy who like overcoaching, but well, I had yeah, to or like, 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 you're so enthusiastic about this. I wasn't going to be able to hire, hire it out. I yeah. wasn't going to be able to get the neighbor to teach her how to ride her bike. And it was a real problem between us mm -hmm. for many years. And it took her until it took her a long time to learn to ride her bike because Somehow we tilted against each other and I did everything I could think of, honestly. Mm -hmm. You know, I said, do it at your own pace. I said, why don't we try this? I said, let's go ride with friends. I said, let's watch a video about it. I said, let's, mm -hmm. let, you know, this. why don't I walk alongside? Why don't I ride? Why don't you ride with me? Why don't we put the training wheels on backwards? Why don't we wear a funny hat? For, for, 
three years Mm -hmm. and she decided somewhere in there early on that she wasn't going to make it easy. And she was just a little child. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what could have happened differently. But the day that she learned to ride her bike, which was a year ago yesterday, Mm -hmm. and I put it in my calendar because it was such a momentous occasion. You know, the day she learned, the day she finally soloed, two days before that, it was uh, was still like this – three-year-old thorn in both of our paws, this, this, uh, this awful, awful experience, this thing that, that divided us, this, you know, this ogre that, that followed us everywhere. Every time we looked at a bike, the two of us got, Mm -hmm. and then one day, you both both have reasons to dread it at that point. But then she was a bicyclist and it was the greatest thing in her life. And she rode away from me and was like, bye dad, I'm riding my bike now. And we just bought her her first gear bike oh, for wow. a couple of days ago. And she's just like, bike, bike, bikety, bike, bike, bike. And so there were so many times in, in that three years where, where I thought to myself and other people said, well, maybe she doesn't, re- maybe she's just one of those people that never learns to ride a bike. And I felt like, this was a, I felt like this was some kind of, um, it really felt like a crisis to me to, hmm. to be in a situation where your only response as a parent to, is to say, well, maybe she never learns to ride a bike or maybe she learns to ride a bike when she's 15 because her, because it's only the pressure of her friends. You know, it's the same thing that, that they said about me with piano. They were like, well, you know, he doesn't like piano lessons. So if he ever wants to learn how to play the piano, he'll do it sometime when he cares about it. And I did. <clears throat> and I play the piano like a, like a person with six thumbs, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but I can't. So with, with my daughter, of course, like she takes piano lessons and they're completely, they're with my brother and they're completely like piano lessons, uh, which are just in, you know, they're, they're the most playful possible piano lessons. Um, there's absolutely no, uh, no expectation, no rigor to it. It's just like sit at the piano and I'll sit at the piano and we'll just find, we'll just make, make noises. Yeah. And I'm super fine with that because I know the trauma of piano. Mm -hmm. But I, I'm very worried. I'm worried is the wrong word. I mean, no worried. I'm worried about myself Mm -hmm. that, Because I'm not trying to correct a problem by, uh, by, by encouraging her to learn to be a better reader because I am a good reader and I'm not trying to, this isn't something where I'm like, I didn't learn to p- play the piano, so you're going to learn to do it, which is, which is how my... And, and the more important we perceive that thing to be, the more like empowered we feel to kind of press it unless we catch ourselves. And then you've made, you've taken something, one can end up taking something that is very precious, especially to us. And then turning that into this source of like, you know, bike adjacent anxiety. Right. Which is meaning to you're trying to do the right thing. I'm super, super not wanting to do that, but also feeling a responsibility to be up to, and I, a feeling a responsibility that, to be a parent is more than to just um, be your child zookeeper while they figure <laughs> out everything for themselves and your only responsibility is to keep them out of traffic and feed them. Mm-hmm. You know, like 
like to be in some ways more of a guide than I ever had mm-hmm. where, where, but, and, and, and 90% of that is wait for her to ask the question. But a lot of it is, I mean, and in this case, the implied question of a 10 year old who walks in, throws a book down and says, this book is boring and goes over and, and reads the same Scrooge McDuck comic that she's read 40 times. <laughs> the, I hear the chorus of people saying, she's a reader, just let her, you know, she'll figure it out. Yeah. But she, that's not necessarily true. No, you're there right. Are, you're right. There are 50-year-olds who are still reading Scrooge McDuck comics. And, and maybe it is, maybe this is a bell curve thing and that you are the reader you're meant to be you only ever become the reader you're meant to be. And just as you cannot, not just as everyone doesn't end up being a ballerina, so too does, you know, is there a, a, a graph of the level of book that you're interested in and the level of reader you want to be? Yeah. And only you can find it. But I don't think that's what education ever used to mean. And I, and I do feel like there's so much in our culture now that is so many of the new rules are don't tell anybody to do anything. Don't, don't make anybody do anything. Everybody just gets to do what they want. And if you ever, you know, if you even stand in between someone doing what they want and anything else, then you're the, you're a criminal. Mm-hmm. And we just have a, we're increasingly creating a world where everybody just gets to do what they want whenever. How do you decide, I mean, I feel like maybe this is implicit in what I'm about to ask, but isn't it fair to say that, that, well, I guess one way to put it is you have to pick your fights, but is it fair to say that that you wouldn't want to do that about every single thing in the world? You wouldn't want to become one of those, like, I don't know, American beauty dads that's just beating up up on your kid about everything. Um, You can say whether you agree or not, but how do you decide what uh, rises to... The um, what rises to your own standard for? Yeah, this is the thing I need to press on a little bit more. How do you how do you know what what's the right kind of thing and when's the right time? Well, I think that's that's <clears throat> I think that question is is pregnant in everything I uh, was just talking about and everything that I talk about about raising her. Like I'm clearly not a I'm not a tiger mom. Mm-hmm. Um, like I'm I'm watching her. I'm letting her do everything that she wants. And it's only in these moments where, where her frustration, her, her, her momentary, very temporary frustration about a thing causes her to force quit (laughs) and go immediately back to the, um, because the thing is that we all have, we all have comfort blankets. And in my case, I spent uh, a lot of years where my comfort blanket was was getting high, yeah, and where my comfort blanket was getting fucked up, and where my comfort blanket was um, like risky relationships. And I know a lot of people in their fifties whose comfort blanket is is having the television on all the time, or <clears throat> their comfort blanket is podcast, frankly, or their comfort blanket is whatever. Mm-hmm. And when I see that my daughter encounters a challenge and and hard quits, <laughs> I don't I don't jump in, right? Mm-hmm. But 
I watch very carefully because there are there are plenty of people who hard quit at long division. And it's possible with the way the world is now that if you hard quit at long division, no one's ever – particularly if the philosophy is like, oh, everybody will figure it out. They do what they like. Then you never learn it. And mm-hmm. no one's ever going to make you learn long division. And there are people, I'm sure, who are like, there are calculators now. Why bother? And it does just increasingly seem like the spaceship in Wally. Um, and so mm-hmm. what, mm-hmm. you know, what are my obligations in helping somebody navigate the world when they say, I don't want to learn to ride a bike? And you go, well, there are a lot of great reasons to ride a bike and they go, yeah, it's too hard. And you go, well, it is hard, but you know, I learned to do it. All the people, look at all the people on bicycles. They all had to do it and it wasn't easy for any of them. Mm-hmm. And at a, at a certain point, like you do have to be a shepherd. Yeah. And I don't know what those, I mean, she still lives on macaroni and cheese and it's black the timing, pepper. I feel like it's the timing in some ways that's hard. I mean, the, the bike thing is an interesting example because bikes were such a fixture of, of at least my life where I lived for a lot of reasons. And bikes are very much a fixture of where I live now and what people do. But at the same time, there's, there, it's not the fixture that it was yeah, but then there's other there's other stuff like I'm I'm talking here about like, I mean maybe I'm even asking a, a weirder question, but like learning division. I mean like so many things I figure oh yeah yeah well, they'll learn that eventually. But like there's certain kinds of stuff where you're like maybe it is like the bike thing, but where like a, enough time has passed that like I've waited for you to find this on your own. Here's one for you that that'll make it uh, more generic. But like if you're worried about your kid. I'll put this however you want. You're worried about your kid getting into college, let alone a good college. And yes, I know this entire conversation is fraught. But if you feel like your kid is 14, 15, 16, 16 probably is like where it's really going to pick up, and you feel like they're not taking the rat race of getting into college seriously enough, whether that's the classes that they're taking, are they doing test prep? You know what I mean? All that kind of stuff. I think that is a pretty good example of one where it's difficult not to feel like you need to press your kid on taking this seriously or at least differently, right? Is, is that an example? That's kind of an example, right? Of like, this is, you have a ch- one chance at this, really. I mean, sure, you have other chances, but like, if you want to like keep going with the way all your friends are going, you can't be the only one who just decides taking the SAT sounds annoying. Like, there's some there's stuff you've got to do today, and we know that as as adults. Like, it was something like that. Like, how do you know when it's the, is there a right time to press on that? Well, and I, you're absolutely right about the bicycle thing that in, that when you and I were, were seven years old and we looked out the front door of wherever we were living, the streets were filled with kids riding bicycles. Yeah. And that's not it was the car before now. you had a car. Like it would be like right. not wanting to drive when you're 16. If you live in Florida, you're dying to be able to drive. So you could do freaking anything. If you live in the suburbs, you want to be able to like pedal to the convenience store and buy a Hulk comic. But that's not true now. Like when she looked out there, just, well, there just aren't kids free roaming like there were. <laughs> that's true. Um, but what, what she, and so she didn't have that social thing that I had as a kid where I was like, I'm the last kid on the street that doesn't know how to ride a bike mm-hmm. from her standpoint where she was being driven to play dates 
And all of her playdates were happening in third locations where there were seven parents sitting on park benches around uh, some public square <laughs> where the kids were like, okay, now you have an hour to play. It's so like the, Mar- get- the Marthas are all in the rim and all the handmaids are in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're just like, sitting on benches. On. <laughs> like we're headed over to Mila's to play. We have an hour and a half before choir lessons start. So get get playing quick. And she didn't have that thing where it's like, hey, if you if you can ride a bike, you can come with us. And if you yeah. don't have a bike, you can't. Right. That, and that's but, a good point. That was that was a, that was a lot of like like implicit pressure, which is like if you want to go, you know, jump ramps in the woods. Like first of all, you need to have a bike and know how to ride it. Yeah. But now that she's ten, all of a sudden. Knowing how to ride a bike, although it was not necessary when she was eight to go out and play with her friends, mm-hmm. now she's ten, and she does, and she wants a little autonomy. And I have said to her, "Look, to go between your mother's house and my house, which is one mile, mm-hmm. I don't want you walking it by yourself, but you can ride your bike by yourself. You can set off from Mama's house and ride to my. And this is in the suburbs, you know. Yeah, yeah. Or you can ride past like mostly the like elementary if, school. If you if you ride safely and stick to the right side at the curb, like you're mostly going to be okay. You got your helmet on. It's going to take you ten minutes to get from Mama's house to my house. You're going to tell me when you're leaving, and I'll be waiting for you with a giant catcher's mitt. <laughs> and that is not a thing that if I if she was like, I want to walk by myself, like if she and another 10 year old girl or two 10 year old girls wanted to do that walk, I would say fine. But I, but if she yeah, wants to factors. Yeah. walk it by herself, no, mm-hmm. but you can ride your bike. Now that's a thing that she could not have anticipated, right? That's a, that is a degree of freedom that she only has now because she went through that process. And that the whole argument that like, well, we learned to ride our bikes in a different time and that time doesn't exist anymore, so it's not necessary. It just makes that transition more abrupt because we didn't – but the difference between us riding bikes at 6 years old and 10 years old, it was a continuum, right? By the time we were 10, we were riding our bikes all over the city. Mm-hmm. Um, and But we didn't – we weren't aware of the different of, – of acquiring those different rights and freedoms because it came in this – it wasn't so abrupt. It's not like, well, I have supervised every single play date you've ever had – and now today, you're, you can make your own decisions. Hopefully, you've learned. Hopefully, you're prepared. Good luck. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's yeah, it's a the, different kind of throwing them in the deep end. It is. And, and I feel like, you know, it's the, the thing about long division is it's not just not learning long division. It is the day you stop trying to learn long division, you have stopped doing math. Because you cannot do any math past that. It's not like you decide not to learn long division and then do decide to do algebra. That's a gating factor for your math future. Yeah. It is like you, this is not just itself. This is the beginning of a process. You have to learn this in order to learn this. You have to know your times tables if you are going to be good at math. Mm-hmm. You don't have to know them. You can always use a calculator. You can stop at multiplication. And, and in high school and in college, there are going to be plenty of opportunities for you to fake it and for you to take an elective and for you to, you know, to struggle through some remedial math in order to make your, you know, you can do it, right? Mm-hmm. There are people that graduate from high school and can't read. Yeah. But, but if you're going to do the next thing, you have to do this thing, even if, you, even if it, at, at this moment it doesn't seem like, well, it's not fun. Mm-hmm. Is, is what it boils down to. So, you know, I didn't prepare for college. I was that kid 
yeah, my junior year where everybody was off, you know, filling up their uh, college resume with um, with the fact that they suddenly were in math club. And it was like, math club? What even is that? And it suddenly got very interested in, for example, you know, volunteering at a nursing home. Like suddenly <laughs> exactly. there's all this stuff that we were told is a real resume builder for college. And I didn't do that. And, and you didn't do that. Mm-hmm. And I didn't go immediately to college and I didn't get a, I didn't go to Yale and, and uh, I was never tapped for skull and bones and I didn't reject skull and bones because I was a Western man that didn't believe in East coast elitism. Like none of those things happened. I didn't ultimately actually join the CIA, but work within a grunge context, trying to ferret out like Mm. where the Soviet union was trying to infiltrate. Oh, you're the ultimate black operative. I wasn't doing any of that. You you didn't even know you were doing it. No, get that off the table as far as like thinking about what I've been doing. But somehow you and I made careers for ourselves. We're here. We're in our, we're in middle age. We're doing fine. Mm-hmm. We've made, you know, hopefully made the world a better place in small ma- matters or measures. Like, so some things are fine, you know, ultimately. And, and honestly, I, I wish there'd been an adult when I was 10 in 10th grade that said, look, you're going to be fine. Um, you don't, you know, like it doesn't all start and stop with whether or not you get into the university of Chicago. Right. Right. Well, yeah, because you've got this whole legacy, this whole career of, I mean, you can disagree, but I feel like we are, we as a culture, as you know, schools, parents, churches, whatever it is, are constantly giving you this message that if you don't do this thing, you're facing a catastrophe. That catastrophe could be that I'm going to be mad or worse, even disappointed in you. But, you know, I do feel like that's a big part of, of at least American Western culture is this pressure f- to use negative, almost negative imagery or, you know, certainly like a negative like mindset to get you to think that like, how, how, how do I get this kid to straighten out? Well, you make them more scared. Or you make them more, you know, dug in on their position. When the, the the dirty secret is, if they met somebody really cool that was a little older than them, or that they really liked and admired that wasn't their family, they might discover stuff that I don't know about that would be wonderful for them and take them in the big life direction, right? Remember, like knowing cool people who were like five or ten years older than you, and you would do anything because they thought it was cool, and you discover interesting stuff. But then that's a diversion. That's like reading a book twice. Now you're counter-revolutionary because you're not you're not hewing to the thing that we demand you be frightened about. Well, and <clears throat> God, I don't know why I'm so <clears throat> flemmy today, but no, you're fine. You're Flemish. Um, the um, I'm Flemish. The I mean, one of the problems with quarantine, right, is that there is no. She spent a year with no socialization, right? There are no cool kids across the street that are already smoking cigarettes. Yeah. There's nobody to tell her that, you know, that her parents suck and the cure is the only band. Um, <laughs> and so she some doesn't environment, have some ambient goth. influence. <laughs> she doesn't have that, but also we're living in a very different world, right? Where, as where all of her experiences, like, like kids today, a lot of them are mediated. There's always some adult there because kids can't, do what they want. Mm-hmm. Um, by the time I was her age, I had spent hundreds of hours unsupervised playing with fire, sharpening sticks to turn them into weapons, you know, like, um, like trying to balance on my bicycle seat at, and you know, the number, uh, the number of closed injury 
closed head injuries I had by the time I was 10, um, I it could fill a medical journal. You're a medical miracle, John. I really Honestly, am. I mean, your entire body, your whole history is like written on your body, like Queequeg or something. Like, what's incredible <laughs> it's is amazing that, I, that you can still use any part of your body consistently. I, I, I sometimes think I would be twice as smart if I hadn't been, if I hadn't injured myself so many times that there wasn't so much blunt force trauma. Yeah. I would be twice the man I am today. But so, so filling that gap with something other than YouTube videos is because I don't, you know, like, yes, you want your kid to, I mean, she's embarking. She's right on the edge of like, well, now her friends become more important than you. And now like trying to, uh, trying to make it in the world and trying to fit in and trying to follow people who have been there already. Like this starts to take over. I've read all the books. <laughs> um, but like it, when those books were written, the presumption was that kids had more autonomy than they do today. I mean, what we forget about those mm. books is that they were written 25 years ago hmm. and, and the, assumed a certain kind of like uh, free range suburban. Yeah. Yeah. And even the books that are been that are being written today are written by people who read the books that were written 25 and 30 years ago and are basing their theory on that. I mean, there's no book about about right now. This is what I mean, one of the major themes of the uh, of the replies I got during Bean Dad, mm -hmm. one of the major themes was ha ha ha, this is ridiculous. Just let her figure it out on YouTube. Like my kids would have figured out how to use a can opener on YouTube a long time ago. Mm -hmm. And I heard that over and over. There were hundreds of replies that made a joke the effect made a joke to the effect that the real problem here was that my daughter didn't know how to teach herself things on YouTube. <sighs> and and it was a joke that was also very serious. I just want to say a, if your law if your law our law was passed, that would be very much considered a grave story telling foul. The, the entire <laughs> being dead thing is just one yellow card after another of like, you're missing, you're missing the, the bit. Yeah. And that, and it was, you know, it was bad storytelling on my part, hmm. but, but, um, but the idea, the, 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 the incredible response I got, I mean, I, first of all, I'm very grateful that, that so many tens of thousands of, of better parents than I were willing to share their wisdom. That's really, that's a mitzvah. But, but the, um, but the, the idea that YouTube plays such a large role in what parents are, I mean, are, uh, how kids are supposed to learn how to do things on their own. That's the thing. I, it's not, if people were like, oh, you should take this online class or she should have been part of the Khan Academy or whatever. It'd be one thing, but, but it was, it was it being patiently explained to me that this is how kids learn on their own is they search online for a video about it. And, and to not be able to do that is to not have autonomy or to not be a child that is, um, that's like, uh, self-educating. Hmm. And you know, and my reply uh, until I stopped replying was like, my daughter has never looked up how to do something on YouTube. I find the whole idea like incredible. Um, because I also know there are plenty of, uh, 10 year old girls who just watch Disney product unboxing videos, uh, with like an ASMR component mm -hmm. or, I mean, I know a, a woman who still watches pimple popping videos every night after work in order to unwind. 
Mm-hmm. She's like, oh, I've had such a stressful day. I'm just going to go watch some pimple popping. Pop, pop, pop. And it's like, wow, okay, right on. Okay, okay I get it. But like, um, I don't, I don't know how to. Uh, the the child rearing philosophies are just not up to date with now, and I know I can't raise my daughter in 1975, right. and I wouldn't want to because there was a lot of awful things about being a kid in 1975. And I'm but everything you said a, a half an hour ago about not wanting to be a parent that is. Or, or rather, an adult of any kind who is filling childhood with anxiety, filling, taking things that are naturally fun and good and turning them into, uh, like, reading journals. Yeah. Like, trying so Everything hard. Everything gets converted not, to drudgery. Not even trying hard because, it's, because that, that was what I suffered from, too. And I, it's, it's not in my nature to do it, right? My mm. nature is to say, mm. tell me what, you know, like – because she's happy to tell me about the relationship between Archie and Betty and how Betty is a superior choice for Archie yeah. relative to Veronica and to express a lot of confusion about why Archie keeps choosing Veronica. And a lot of, you know, she identifies herself as a Betty. Mm-hmm. Is it and, Betty, do you feel like it's a, is it similar in some ways to uh, Betty is, uh, Marianne is to Betty as Ginger is to Veronica? Is that? Oh, but uh, yeah, productive? but Ginger wasn't so, I mean, Ginger but also was Betty's just, got that aspect of like a Marvel, a cool Marvel girl, like an MJ or a Gwen or something like that. But Betty's a little too good, obviously. And I mean, Veronica feels like a, actually a fairly realistic character. Yeah. Ginger was just, um, yeah. was just self-absorbed. She Betty's wasn't a pistol. Evil. Betty's a pistol though. I love Betty. And Mar- Mar- Marianne, frankly, like oh. it all boils down to Marianne. Oh, come on, shit dog. But, but you know, we use Archie to talk about people she knows in life. Uh, you know, she, she has established that I am kind of half Archie, half Reggie, but mostly Jughead. I was going to say. <laughs> and, we, and we both agree. I think <laughs> you're when, a lot more. Well, <laughs> you, do have, you do have Reggie components, but I, I think of you as a Jughead. You love to eat. Little, I'm very Jughead. <laughs> And, and we you got talked, that cool hat. She and I have talked a lot because when she, you know, she identifies as Betty because of the gender role and the blonde and wanting to be nice. But when she really thinks about herself, she'll say that she's a jughead too. If I look back at myself in high school, I love to think of myself as a Betty, like a very low status Betty. But mm-hmm. I was closer to just like a pretty mean Veronica. Well, and so many people are Veronicas and don't know it. And I know. I, 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 you know, about, I don't want to be the one to say it, but I totally agree. No, there's anything right? wrong with Veronica. She comes what from I learned money. about Jughead was that Jughead is a Zen character, right? Mm. Like Jughead is not just interested in hamburgers. No. Jughead somehow is present everywhere and yet never, his feet never touch the ground, right? He hmm. never. He's a Buddha. Jughead, He's he kind never of a gets blood on him, right? And there's, and there's carnage in every episode. In every in every uh, Archie comic, there's just fucking emotional carnage everywhere. People are just like, uh, at, it's it's like it's it's like Carthage. And oh, and he, you're saying he kind of runs between the raindrops, sort of. He does. He does. Jughead always. He ends might. He the might story. be a really good parent. Well, that's. I try to Jughead it. Jughead you know? the parenthood. That's Jughead so interesting. Because Jughead, he's the, he sees it all, but Jughead 
Jughead exits the picture the same as Jughead entered the picture. Whoa. Okay. Jughead, you know, Jughead is a, is a godhead. He is an, it's not Jughead, it's godhead. He's the mm. unchanging, ever-present yes. Whoa. Mm. Oh, man, this should be at least an ebook, John. This is good. So, everything so, I need to know about parenthood I learned from Marchie Comics, specifically and, Jughead. And that's, a long, that's a long to, title. Trying to be Jughead, right? And trying yeah. not to be Veronica hmm. because it feels like those are, are the opposites, right? See, we, this is literature, man. We're learning a lot from this. And you got to read all the words. You can't just skim. Yeah. Don't skim. You can read every ad, read it all the way through. Read every ad. Can I, can I, can, so um, I figure we'll probably wrap soon. Can, can I bring you a couple things real quick before we bounce? Yeah, do. Okay, first of all, I would love for you to suffer me a short uh, thing to read, and then I just want to talk a tiny bit about getting a song out of your head, if you want. Oh, okay, yes, please. Or we can save it. We can save it for the next show. Would uh, you save oh, it? No, 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 let's do it now. I can just read you this thing if you want to just, uh, I'll okay. read this and then you can tell me what you think. Do it. This came across my transom yesterday. I don't normally do things like this, but um, this came up, um, was posted a couple days ago, came across my transom yesterday. Uh, this purports to be a uh, the the prologue. This is a screenshot prologue from a calculus book uh, that was put out in 1914. A, cal- a cal- you mean a Tintin calculus book or a calculus? I'm talking about Tantan. Tantan. Is dog Snowy? Tantan. No, Tantan. Tantan Macoots. What are they called? What are the ones where you thought they smelled bad? Yeah. Tantan Macoots, exactly. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, and, and, you know, again, I, I say this purports to be, because that's how I like to report things that, that, are, that are out there. Right. You know, I wish I could do this with advertisers. I wish I could do this with all things, which is like, when you want me to read something, I would like to say, this is what this company says, rather than, yes. I'm not here to stand for this page from a book that purports to be from 1914. Not just because it might turn out to be fake, but, you know, you just never know. It's take, just take just a minute. The first page of a book called Calculus Made Easy, published in 1914. Okay, read, read away. Prologue. Considering how many fools can calculate, it is surprising that it should be thought either a difficult or a tedious task for any other fool to learn how to master the same tricks. Some calculus tricks are quite easy. Some are enormously difficult. The fools who write the textbooks of advanced mathematics, and they are mostly clever fools, seldom take the trouble to show you how easy the calculations, how easy the easy calculations are. On the contrary, they seem to desire to impress you with their tremendous cleverness by going about it in the most difficult way. Almost done. Being myself a remarkably stupid fellow, I have had to unteach myself the difficulties and now beg to present to my fellow fools the parts that are not hard. Master these thoroughly and the rest will follow. What one fool can do, another can. Mm-hmm. Isn't that kind of good? Mm-hmm. It really is. I mean, it is because like, and what's, what's implicit in that? Well, for me, what's implicit in that is this thing of like, I'm the wizard and you're not even the Padawan. I guess I'm mixing up my genres here. Sure. But I like, understand. you know, I, I'm Gandalf and, and you're one law. of those guys who smokes. Like whatever. Like, but there is this sort of mystique of like a certain kind of seemingly good hearted, tough teacher. And we're not talking here about Gunnery Sergeant Hartman. He's a hard ass because he's trying to save your ass in, in the nom. Right? right. He he's not your friend. 
No. He's, he wants to make you make you a killer because that's what might save you. And that it took me a long time to appreciate that about Gunnery Sergeant Hartman. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Totally. Right. Like, yeah, uh, you know, uh, 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 again, driver's ed. Like, it's important. Like, wh- I wish everybody learned to use their turn directional indicators. Like, there's all kinds of stuff I like about that. But there mm-hmm. is also this certain sort of like, I'm the wizard. And a handful of you might get to become a wizard, but most of you will fail because you don't know my wizard tricks. And like I'm, the, I'm the master of this, and you are, you are the, uh, you are the, the empty vessel that is to be filled with whatever I have decided is appropriate, just by fiat to like make you the less dumb person that you might eventually be. I'm overstating this, but like. I do feel like this does go back to this problem of us needing to turn everything, not us, but, you know, the world, needing to turn everything into this fearful venture that cannot be mastered. Everything is an impossible giant ball of string that has no ends to it. There's no inroad to any of this stuff. And I do do feel like it's sometimes it takes something like a little bit of a, a trick or, or something like, like how old were you before you learned that a 20% tip was like, like twice the tax or whatever, you know, there's all those little kinds of things where I'm like, Oh God damn it. Why did you never teach me these stupid heuristics that would make all of this less uh, opaque to me? Because remember all those years when a tip was supposed to be 15%. Why, why make it so hard? Yeah. I mean, a 10% tip. You're pushing a rope a little bit, but like you could also just be cheap and not tip. And I guess now you're the math master. I don't know. I just, I read that it purports to be this thing. And I thought, I I agree with the person who wrote this, who said, this is exactly what textbooks should be doing. They should all be honest about how terrifying the topic names are too. Yeah. I mean, like this is a real normie dad kind of thing to, to star or heart, whatever we do now. But I, I agree. I think, I think there's something to be said for like the reason I'm teaching you this or the reason you're being taught this is because it you can learn this. You know, yeah. anyone can cook. <laughs> it's right. not that everybody's going to be great at this, but like rather than making everything seem like this impossible uphill battle that burnishes your reputation as the hard, most hard-assed wizard at the academy, like can't we do something to make this less fraught? You know, so one of the tricks I learned a long time ago about procrastination is that procrastination is based on fear of something. And if you can understand what it is that you're afraid of, you can begin to address it. But you don't do that by creating new fear. Creating new fear has never gotten rid of procrastination in anybody who actually procrastinates. That's my it's thought funny. on that. It's funny because <clears throat> I read a New Yorker article the other day about you. Hmm. That I about didn't me. know about you that oh. I didn't know had been published. It was oh, published yeah. just a couple of months ago. Yeah. And you and I were talking to each other probably the day it came out, but you didn't mention it because that's your style. You're very you're very humble. I just, I just want, want to not be noticed. I just want to be you don't left want, alone. You don't, you, don't, you don't want attention drawn to yourself, although there was a very long and uh, a very long New Yorker article that used you as the as the the um well, that you were the star. And I was the, the, the unintentional primary source. Yeah, you were the you were the illustration of a whole universe. Yeah, yeah, and I, but I read it, and you know, I had the most interesting kind of reaction to it because all of the events in the all of the events in the story, I was there for, yeah. and yet you and I were occupying a. Um, uh, like an uh, an alternate universe, like you you and I talked every Monday during 
and, and also saw each other in person. And we, we were coming off of a period of 10 years where we saw each other all the time. Mm-hmm. The 10 years that led to the revelation that, you know, like I was there when you started 43 folders. I was there when you gave the mm-hmm. talk to Google. You know, I was next to you. We were having weekly conversations. And yet that was all happening in a in a in your life in a way that I never fully uh understood it. And part of it was that hmm. you were that you were reticent to to self-promote, right? You didn't come on this show and say like, well, you and I was, I was pretty ashamed about how everything with the book I was supposed to write went. That was a real shame spiral for me, but that was well, already, that was, that was icing that, on the cake of like, Oh my God, what kind of monster have I created? Or what kind of monster have I become vending, I really, vending tips about time management to people who are addicted to tips about time management. I, I remember the book trauma because that was something that we talked about a lot, not on this program necessarily. No, no it was before but, that, yeah. But sidebar, we talked about that a lot, and that was a big, that was a big event in your life. But, but the excitement that you expressed in the article when you first discovered this stuff, I mean, I remember that. I remember coming into your office and seeing the fucking post-it notes and – and being like, wow, this is a universe. I, re- I mean, you, you know, have a lot I, of notebooks for somebody who hardly ever writes. I like to brag that when I met you, you still had a PC up and running in your office. You know, that's <laughs> I, one. Of well, that's technically true. I had an old like 386. That yeah, was, yeah. Were, it was on. It was, do you remember? It was on a piece of plywood. On the sure, left. I do. You you could boot it up. It was, it was running. a left hand PC. You yeah. would go over there and say like, well, sure. I'm kind of making the transition over to Mac, but Beginning. I still have. <laughs> Beginning boot sequence, people. <laughs> all my all my cookbooks are over here still in the PC. Mm-hmm. But but no, well, listening to you, reading that article and just and and trying to and using it as a way of kind of filling in gaps for myself and for your and my relationship and like the and your arc that you know because you and I kind of have a there's a tacit agreement that you know we don't we we don't ask too much you know like. We don't dig too much, right? Like I don't, I don't, I don't well, press I not. you. No. Um, and so what we <laughs> I don't, know about I each don't other, stand up to scrutiny very well at all. <laughs> well, that's the thing though. But uh-huh. what we know about each other is what we tell each other about each other, about ourselves, right? Yeah. And, and we're content with that. It's like, that's our relationship. You tell me what you want. I tell you what I want. And reading this, it was just like, oh, this is something else. This is a conversation that, that. That you and I would never have had because you were like, well, you don't want to know about, um, you don't want to know about 43 folders. And that, I mean, you, I think we had two conversations where you were like, if you want to know about yeah. how to uh, streamline your <laughs> work process. your index cards. <laughs> and I was like, mm, hard pass. Okay. And you were okay. like, that's what I thought. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but interesting that- What, what, that, what, that what, whole, did, what did it tell you? Like, what what what-, what it sounds like this had at least a small impact. Like, what, what is it you realized or thought? Well, I mean, I, in, in a way, I've always known that you were a star somewhere yeah. in, in a place. In, you know, we, we used to go to bars and parties in San Francisco, and people would come up and, and, and drop a bouquet of white lilies at your feet and then back <laughs> away slowly, d- bowing their heads. And I would go, what's up with them? <laughs> And you'd be like, never mind. Know. <laughs> uh, but but realizing that you and I always knew this, but just kind of filling in like how much you. When we talk about like I used to be Merlin Mann, 
when you when you say those things and it's like oh yeah yeah right but but it was it was truly a moment like 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 it was for the long winters there was an indie rock you had an indie rock career that was you know that was that was big you were a big band yeah. and then in the same way that i kind of just didn't keep doing that right you didn't keep doing it either yeah but hear, hearing the i think that i'm often a person that hears your it's just natural that you talk about your frustrations with me about mm-hmm. things you know that it, this is just an environment and you're in my friendship is one where you're like you you, you want to talk about the challenges and part of it is the humility right you don't want to talk about your triumphs you want to talk about the challenges um because it's because it you know it's it's more it's more manageable but but reading that article and and getting an inkling of your triumphs was really good it it, it made me glad hmm. um, That's because really cool. i yeah i got to i, I like, appreciate you saying that yeah i felt i felt like oh you know like merlin was um in love with this and the world loved him for it and then when you quit it, when you realized its limitations and when you said like, you know what? I have become something other. This isn't – the point isn't tech, to be addicted to tips about tips. Mm-hmm. You know that – because you do have that very strong ethical thing in you. But to, to walk away from – basically a professional it, Holden Caulfield. I'm always looking for phonies. <laughs> right. But you were not shooting yourself in the foot. Which which often kind of is is a thing that when someone has your opportunity and then says like no thanks, there's that there's a tendency to say like well he was afraid of success or whatever he shot himself in the foot, and I remember there being there for the book and feeling like no 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 he he does not want to write a phony book, and he feels like he's now been pushed into a corner where the only thing he can do is turn in a phony book or no book at all. But realizing that you made those decisions really affirmatively and not passively also felt like a triumph. Hmm. And that means the world to me. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I really enjoyed reading that article. And of course, like, (laughs) oh, here I am like four months later. And, uh, oh, was there an article about Merlin? How weird. You're good. good. (laughs) Just just skim it. (laughs) Where would I have heard You don't need to read it twice. Please don't read it twice. I wonder. Surprised no one sent me a text about it. Uh Uh-huh. No, no. Mm. It's... it's So I standing order to everybody. Please don't talk about me. <laughs> in one Finnish study, uh, they studied, I believe it's in Finland, they studied something called INMI, involuntary musical imagery, which hmm. is the fancy uh, psychology term for an earworm or a song in your head. I only mention this to you because there are certain songs, and we can cover this next time because we're running a little long. Yeah. The, um, the, there are certain songs that seem to trigger this more than others. A lot of things by Queen, by Lady Gaga. There's certain yeah. kinds of songs. When they ask people for what they came to call the cure song, no, that doesn't mean boys don't cry or you right. know, in a forest. Right. It's, it's a way, be- what, is, what, is, what, is a, what is a, what is a cure song? A cure song is a song that, that one has realized will help them get rid of the, the earworm. And amongst the people they talk to, there's only one song that came up twice. You want to know what it is? What is it? Cashmere. By Led Zeppelin. Cleanses the palate. I you made know, out I, to that song once, and it was extremely memorable. Oh, I bet that's we're, we're under a blanket. You get keep going and going and high, bigger and bigger. Da, 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 da. I woke up this morning going. Into flood again. 
Summer trip, it was back. Oh, I got one for you. Caribbean queen, we are sharing the same dream. That is my dream.